Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you joined us today for Reinvent Yourself. I have somebody who is really, what a reinventor's story. If you have ever struggled with any kind of depression, and who hasn't, um, I went through a reactive depression after I lost my first job, no, my second job um, at the Daily News when they closed the newspaper. I was not a depressed person. Um, but what happened was when they laid off 300 people, the, uh, for some reason I decided that it was my fault, <laughs> which of course drew up everything in my background about why is everything my fault when it rained, it was my fault. Anyway, that was back in my twenties and sent me into therapy. And, um, I'll tell you, I would not like to be back in that depression. 25 years later, <laughs> I don't have depression anymore. Um, but I sure know what it's like. And our next guest, Ruth Sukup, is really um, an incredible story of somebody who's gone through depression, suicide, psych psychiatric hospitals, was divorced at 23, bankrupt, alone, and went, got her life together, went back to school, remarried, had daughters, started a media company, and now has a new book. She has several books out, um, which are all about how to make money in the blogosphere and uh, in uh, online media. And then her newest book is all about how to deal with your fears. And she really did some good research in finding out the different types of fears people have. She really dug down and you can find what kind of fear you have and then overcome it. I think the most telling thing that she talks about is how we think our fears are our realities. We don't realize that they are just fears. So we think it's our reality and we think that everybody lives that same way and they don't. And that's what her book, which is Do It Scared, is all about. And so that's why I have the pleasure of speaking with her. You're gonna be amazed by this very frank, very out there, very warm and very amazing 41-year-old woman, and here she is. So welcome, Ruth. Uh, you're in Florida. How did you end up in Florida, and where is that? It's a small town I haven't heard of. Yeah, I live in a little town called Punta Gorda, Florida. It is, I ended up in Florida mostly because my husband doesn't like cold, and so uh -huh. he had actually bought a house here before we even met. Um, he was a contract engineer. He, he spent his career traveling all over the country, working for different aerospace companies, and knew that someday he would want to retire to Florida. So he bought a house here. And then about a year later, he met me and uh, convinced me to move to Florida with him. So here we are 15 That's years later. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so start me. Your story is quite so many twists and turns of reinvention of all kinds. Um, <laughs> guessing people don't really know your story yet, though obviously with your new book, they will. So why don't you just give me a very shortened version of how you got to where you are. And um, I know that in the PR release, they're talking about your early life with depression and psychiatric hospitals and divorce. So condense it, but give us the the meat and yes, of it. the condensed version. Oh my goodness! Um, so when I was in my early twenties, I, you know, I was I was a 
a big go-getter in college and always had big dreams. I had planned my whole life that I was, I was going to be a lawyer and I was going to be a big shot. And, um, when I, my senior year of college, I was going, you know, a hundred miles an hour and working full time and, and getting straight A's with all honors courses and doing all the things. I was also married. I was also taking care of Two of my brother, two of my brothers were living with, with my husband and I. And so I had a lot of responsibility and I had a lot of stuff going on and I sort of just hit a wall. A couple things happened. Um, one, the most significant one <laughs> was that I, um, started having memories and flashbacks of being sexually abused as a child. Um, and mm-hmm. I was un- very unexpectedly the abuser um, died when my senior year of college and my dad just in passing, of course, not knowing that, um, that this man had abused me mentioned, mentioned to me over the phone that he had died. And it was a a person that was in our life and it sort of set everything off. And, and then my marriage, you know, was not super happy. My husband Mm -hmm. and I at that point were living pretty separate lives. Mm -hmm. I I knew even when I married him that I was, it was not what I wanted to do, but it was one of those things where I felt like the ball was rolling and I couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of all just came to a head and I got very depressed and, um, really just decided that at one point that life had no meaning and I wanted to end it all. And Mm -hmm. I attempted suicide and that spiraled down into a two and a half year battle with depression that Mm -hmm. involved multiple suicide attempts, the worst of which ended me on life support with less than 10% chance of waking up. It was really, really, really bad. And, you know, I had went was in multiple different psychiatric hospitals, all sorts of different treatment plans and every medication. And, and eventually they also resorted to electroshock therapy because I was, oh had what they called a treatment resistant depression. Oh, okay. And so, and most people don't even know they still do that. I mean, it was, yes, it was right. like really kind of the darkest and lowest of the low that you could mm-hmm. see. And I, in the midst of it all, you know, when I was out of the hospital, I was just completely self-destructive doing mm. as many self-destructive things as I could, drugs, sex, oh. anything that I could do to harm myself, anything I could do to not feel the emotional pain. So I would, I would resort to physical pain and getting into mm. bar fights and, mm. and just things that were dangerous and self-destructive. And so I found myself at the end of all of this, you know, spiral down, 24 years old. I was divorced. I had to file oh for bankruptcy. Oh. Uh, my friends and family had pretty much abandoned me at that point. And not because they didn't care, but because they just didn't know how else to help me. Like I was not mm-hmm. a great person to mm-hmm. be around. So mm-hmm. I literally felt at that point, like my life was over, that I was 24 years old yeah. and I had ruined my life forever. Like, how do you even recover from that? I looked like hell. I had chopped off my hair. I had piercings and tattoos and I had cut with my arms and legs were all scarred up. And Mm. it was, it was pretty bad. And Mm -hmm. I just remember being at that place of just feeling completely hopeless and just the the utmost despair of where I couldn't even get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And for months, that's Mm -hmm. how I lived. I just didn't get out of bed. And I'd gone to my, live with my dad at that point who didn't really want me, I don't think, but didn't Mm -hmm. also couldn't turn me away. Mm -hmm. And so finally he just got to a point where he's like, you got to do something. And he convinced Mm -hmm. me 
to go to start working out. Um, he's like, just go to the gym three times a week. If you want to stay here, you have to go to the gym three times wow. a week and just walk on the treadmill for half an hour, three mm-hmm. times a week. And so that's what I started to do. And literally that it was that taking one step at a time, one foot in front of the other that gave me just enough of something. I don't even know what it was, just enough spark of hope that I was then able to take the next step, which was at that point calling a new therapist. And I said, I've just spent the last two and a half years talking about every bad thing that's ever happened to me. It hasn't worked. I'm not better. I don't know what to do at this point. I just need to know how to live. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really what she helped me do. And, you know, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, she helped me first go to the grocery store without having a panic attack. And then it was mm-hmm. getting a part-time job and getting a dog and moving mm-hmm. out of my dad's house and getting my own apartment and mm-hmm. learning how to make new friends and all mm-hmm. of these little tiny steps where eventually then I was able to go back and finish my degree. Cause I had of course dropped out mm-hmm. when all the depression had happened mm-hmm. and started applying to law school and, mm-hmm. and slowly one very small step at a time, I put back the pieces of my shattered life and then eventually mm-hmm. met, met the man who would become my second husband, who's my current mm-hmm. husband. Um, and, um, you know, we, I went to law school and, and found out that law school was not for me. I mm-hmm. hated it. I went for nine mm-hmm. months and mm-hmm. realized that was not the right choice. And so then you're not the only one I talked to. <laughs> Many frustrated, upset, and bored or career-changing lawyers. For some reason, that seems to be the case. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that was like such a huge deal for me because, you know, I worked so hard to put my life together Mm -hmm. and to finally go after this goal Mm -hmm. that, and then worked so hard to get into a really good law school. And um, so I was there and I couldn't imagine quitting. And it was actually my husband. He wasn't my husband yet. Then, but he was the one who was like, It's okay if this isn't what you want to do, it's okay to do something else. And I don't think without his permission, I would have ever dared to. But I think in that moment, it taught me so much about changing paths that it's okay when you know it's not right, it's okay to do something else and to go after something else. And it honestly, it took me a long time after that to figure out my correct path. I, Mm -hmm. you know, then we got married and we had a couple of kids, and then which sort of brought me to this point where I was a young stay-at-home mom of two toddlers. And I, at that point, we were living in Florida and I didn't have a great support system around me. And so a lot of, I spent a lot of my days going to Target and wandering around. Mm. And it wasn't a great hobby because I was spending a lot of money at Target Mm -hmm. just because, not because I needed stuff, but really because I was just trying to fill fill up my time and fill up my day. And that, of course, brought on its own set of problems. And my husband and I started fighting a lot about money, mm-hmm. um, not surprisingly. And so one day we got into this big make it or break it fight. And I, and he said, and I, for some reason he thought I bought a lot of socks at Target, which is weird because in Florida, you don't even wear socks. <laughs> right, right, right. But I remember he said, I'm going to put you on a budget. And if you want to spend it all on socks, you can spend it all on socks. But when it's gone, it's gone. And so... <laughs> That was kind of like this, this moment where I was like, okay, something has to give. I have to do something else. And I decided that instead of going to Target, I needed a new hobby. And I decided to start a blog called Living While Spending Less, which was really about my own journey of trying to live well on a budget. And about, you know, here I had this money. And my original tagline for my blog was 
because the less I spend on food, the more I can spend on shoes. Because for mm-hmm. me, I didn't actually mm-hmm. want socks. I wanted shoes. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and that was, I started writing about that and I started writing about, you know, my ex- experience at being, being a stay at home mom and about how to do things more efficiently in the home. And that was a journey that really resonated with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it opened up this whole other world to me that I never even knew existed, a world of online business owners and, mm-hmm. and, and that people were making money on the internet mm-hmm. and doing, doing things like this. And I, could do, and I felt like I could do that too. And I remember going to my husband saying, honey, I, I know what I'm going to do. I, I am going to make this blog into a business and I'm going to make enough money blogging that you can quit your job. And he looked at me at that point and he's like, honey, that is literally the stupidest thing that you have ever said. Like you can't make money on a blog. And I think for, and he would, the, the funny thing about this is he was not trying to be mean. My husband is just like, he's very matter of fact and he calls it like he sees it. And he really, it seemed like such a crazy idea at that time. But then I was, from then on, I was determined to make it work. And I poured myself into figuring out everything I needed to learn about the business side of having, you know, of blogging and having an online business and what that looked like and how I, how I could monetize and how I could grow my audience. And, and I poured myself into it. And two and a half years later, he was able to leave his job. Oh my and God. Become a stay at home dad. And that oh was in 2013. God. And 2013, he became a stay at home dad. 2013. Yep. We switched oh roles. God. And then that was the really scary part because up until that point, it had been, you know, I could still call it a hobby. My husband was the one making, earning the real money. And I was uh-huh. just doing this, this side hustle mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden it was on me and, and I was, I was pretty terrified. And mm-hmm. I think that lit a fire under me like, mm-hmm nobody's business. And mm-hmm. honestly, within a couple months, I was able to triple the revenue that I was bringing in and we've never looked back from then. And now here we are nine years later after, after starting the business, um, six years after he, he came home and it's now, you know, this huge $5 million company with oh 15 employees and oh nothing, God. nothing like I could have ever imagined before. So it was, it was, it's really been an interesting, an interesting journey full of lots of reinventions along the way. Oh my God, that is way more outrageous than even the, the PR pitches. Did, and you said you have 15 <laughs> employees? I do. Oh I do. my God. Incredible. What a story. How old are you? You look like a baby on there. <laughs> I'm 41. Oh, you are a baby. Okay. <laughs> you are a wonderful 41-year-old baby. Fantastic. Oh, my God. So what is the thing that you think that is going on online? Is it just allowing you to reach out to people who would never have found you before? Or why did this work so well for you when you tried other things? What do you think it was? Is it being brutally honest? Is it... What do you think the the magic of finally finding your thing is? Uh, that's a really good question. I think the I think I finally gave myself permission to just be real and be authentic and to talk about the things that were relevant to me and talk about those in a way and connect with my audience in a way that was real and authentic. And I think that's actually like what I love so much about the online business world these days and the opportunities that are out there. Because now, you know, one of the things that happened after my husband quit his job is that 
other people started to take notice and other bloggers started to take notice and started asking me, what are you doing differently? Why, how were you able to turn this into a business in two and a half years? Yeah. But yeah. his job, and I can't do that. And you, we started at the same time, and and so I actually first wrote a book called How to Blog for Profit Without Selling Your Soul. And honestly, I had never actually intended to talk about the business side of of blogging or what I was doing behind the scenes to make it all work and make it all profitable. You know, I was I talked about you know, taking care of your home and being more productive and setting goals and, and, Mm -hmm. and budgeting and and those kind of things were the things that I was talking about to my audience, but I still had a lot of people asking about it. And so eventually I wrote this book, how to blog for profit, thinking it would answer all the questions. And Mm -hmm. what that did was just bring out more questions. Mm -hmm. The book actually took off. It went, it went to number two on Amazon the day it came out, which was shocking to me. And then it, it was, it brought so many more people who had more questions about blogging and what the question that kept coming up over and over again was there's so much information that's out there. I get so right. overwhelmed. I right. don't know what to do in what order. Can you just tell me step-by-step step what I need to do to be successful? Yes. And that was like, that's kind of the way my brain works is in step-by-step step processes. Right. And so I was right. really able at that point to kind of look back at my journey and go, okay, what did I do? And what's the process? What's the framework that I followed in order to make this work? And so I ended up putting together a course for bloggers called Elite Blog Academy. And that has now, we're now in our sixth year of Elite Blog Academy. It launched in 2014. We just launched our sixth year. We've gone, we've revised the course actually four different times. So we're up to EBA 4.0. And um, we have now had over 11,000 students in 60 countries worldwide go through the course. So that's been amazing. Um, But Is it live or is it just downloadable videos that- you might have people who are listening. Um, there are probably people who are listening who are thinking about a blog, but we kind of think of blogging as old and over. Yeah, it's really, honestly, it's really not. And what I teach in Elite Blog Academy, and it's not just about blogging specifically, it's about okay. how to create a successful online business. Okay. And the way that I teach that is through sort of an, an upside down business model. So I teach, um, you know, if you look at the traditional business model, the way that business like businesses have always gone or the way they've gone for the last several hundred years is that, you know, you'll come up with a, you'll come up with a plan or you come up with an idea, you write your business plan and then you create your product or you open your store or you, um, you know, you have your franchise or whatever it is, the business that you're going to create. And usually that takes a ton of upfront capital, Capital, right? You need tons of, it's a huge upfront investment. Right. And then from there, you have to work really hard to try to find customers, customers to come in your store, right. people to eat in your restaurant, people to right. buy your, your widget, whatever thing that you created. And so right. again, you're spending all of this money on marketing to try to get those customers. Right. And then from there, all of a sudden you're scrambling to try to figure out how to talk to those customers and how to connect with those customers in order to get them to know and like and trust you so that they keep coming back and mm-hmm. so that you can retain them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's really kind of backwards because the problem with that business model that we've used for so long is that it's very um, risky. It's and and the reality is that like seventy five percent of businesses, small businesses, will fail in the first five years. Right. So it's super high risk. And the reason that businesses fail is because they either a don't have enough customers or b they run out of money. Mm-hmm. And all for all of those reasons, because you're having to invest so much upfront. So. Mm-hmm 
content marketing and what I teach in Elite Blog Academy is completely different. It's upside down business model. So mm-hmm. we start by creating your message and refining your message. That's part one is figuring out who you're talking to and what you're going to say and how you're going to make it resonate because Mm -hmm. it's all about connecting with people and creating a relationship. Mm -hmm. And from there you focus on growing that audience and growing that relationship. So Mm -hmm. getting more people who connect with your message and what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And that's part two. And then part three is where the monetization comes in. And that part is actually the easy part because once you have a tribe of people who connect with you, who know and like and trust you, who, who believe what you have to say and who are eager to hear what you have to say, they're also telling you what they need. And so mm-hmm. it's easy to create the right products for them because you already know what they need. They're asking you for it. Mm-hmm. And that when I look at my business and the reason that it's been successful is every step along the way, every, every single product that I have and that I sell has come as a direct result of the questions that my audience has been asking me. And so it's, it's not a struggle to sell, sell things to people because Mm -hmm. they're already asking for them, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's easy Mm -hmm. to to stay authentic when you're creating products that people are asking Mm -hmm. for. And it's easy to know what, what to do next because people are telling you constantly telling you what you need. So you start with the relationship and you grow the business out of that. And the benefit of that is that even though it's a little more work up front, it seems Mm -hmm. like it's slow in the beginning because it Mm -hmm. does take time. Just like with, Mm -hmm. when you're face to face, it takes time to grow a relationship with people. Mm -hmm. But the, the back end is much faster and it's also much lower risk. You don't have mm-hmm. to invest all that capital up front. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's what I teach the Leap Blog Academy. And that's been just, it's been so cool to watch that work and to see it, how it's panned out in my own business, but then to also be able to teach other people how to duplicate that at a much faster pace than I was able to do. You know, I, they get, all my students get the benefit of learning from all the things I did wrong. Right. Um, of course. So I can say, Hey, I, I did this and this didn't work, but you can do it this way and this is going to work much faster. And is it downloadable videos? What should people It is. Expect? So you, it's all online. It's hosted uh-huh. on a, um, uh, password protected platform. There's um, all videos. And then there's also a Facebook group so that you can connect with the other students. It's a very engaged community. And it's what's really cool is that we have, our alumni have had so much success and they Mm -hmm. also just continue to pour into the next class of students. And so you get, you have the the benefit of learning from the people who have gone before you. And I do, I do live office hours once a week. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then the rest of the course is all, self-paced. Oh, good. Okay. That's great. And just explain where blogging is today. I mean, I would think that people would say like a blog that is dead, dead, dead. What are you still calling it a blog? Is it something different? What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, blogging is definitely not dead. I mean, there's, but you can call it like people have blogs, they have podcasts. It's essentially the same thing. It's just a different format. Um, they have YouTube channels, people there's, it's really just a hub of where people can find you. It's content that you're putting out there. It's called content marketing. It's content that you're putting out there to the world, whether that's written content, whether that's an email newsletter. I mean, there's so many different ways to put it out there. Um, so it's, it's, it's all, it's all essentially the same thing. Okay. So talk about your new book and what is in there that's different. So my new book is called Do It Scared. And, you know, just like all the other products that have become before it, Do It Scared is really something that was born out of the questions and the concerns that I was hearing from 
the people in my, in my audience and in my community, because I talk a lot about goal setting and setting big goals and going after your big goals and dreams and daring to do things and do it scared, you know, through my own story, do it scared has been such a huge um, motto in my life. It's even, you know, as I was coming out of depression, taking one step at a time, that was the thing that I would say to myself over and over, just do it scared, just do it scared, Mm -hmm. feel scary, just, just do it scared. Mm -hmm. And as an entrepreneur, it's certainly been the mantra that has stuck with me. It's actually one of the core values of my company. Mm. And, but what I would, what I would hear people saying over and over again was, you know, Ruth, you talk about going after your goals and dreams, but I feel stuck. I feel like I am sitting on the sidelines of my own life. I feel like I'm watching everybody else jump in and go after it. And I don't know how to move forward. Mm -hmm. And it got me so curious about, about this fear that was so prevalent because it wasn't just one or two people. It was over and over and over again. The same themes kept coming up. Right. And so I started asking a lot of questions and those questions sort of snowballed inadvertently into what became a huge research study. We ended up surveying more than 4,000 people Mm -hmm. on the role of fear in their lives. And Mm -hmm. um, it was so much data that I ended up having to hire a whole team of researchers and psychologists Mm -hmm. to help me Mm -hmm. dig into the data. Mm -hmm. But what came out of that was something I could have never expected. And it was so, it was, it was just so exciting and insightful. And that's, that's really the jumping off point for the book. What um, are the, what are the three top most shocking findings that you found? Cause I, I feel like we are living in a state of fear right now, just in general with our politics and everything. Do you think it's been heightened? Do you think there's more fear now? What do you think is going on? Well, you know, the, there's all sorts of different kinds of fear, like types of fear, that are out there. And what okay. I'm, what I want to specifically clarify is that the, the kind of fear that I was interested in pursuing and talking about was the fear that holds us back in our own lives from stepping okay. outside of our comfort zone or going after our goals and dreams. So I'm not talking okay. about phobias and not okay. talking about okay. fear of spiders or anything okay. like that. But mm-hmm. what, what we discovered about that, about that type of fear that holds us back is that, and even some people don't even necessarily call it fear. They might call it anxiety. They might call Mm -hmm. it feeling stuck. It might feel like depression. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting about that is that we all experience that kind of fear, but we all experience it in a very unique way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, but there are very distinct patterns for how that fear manifests itself in our lives. And we -hmm. we found that there were seven of these very distinct patterns, something we call the seven fear archetypes. Mm. And so we each, what we learned is that we each have a little bit of all seven of the archetypes, but for most people, there's at least one, sometimes even two or three, sometimes more than that, that mm-hmm. are, that are more prevalent in your life. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that fear is that so often most of what's of it is happening subconsciously it, mm-hmm. and we don't actually see that it's happening. We, mm-hmm. it, we just, we experience it as truth. We don't experience it as fear. We experience it as truth. Mm-hmm. As okay. And we also feel like everybody else must experience fear the same way, or they must exp- be ha- like experiencing the same truth, but it really isn't that way. And so why this is important is because it's sort of like going to the doctor. When you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doc, I don't feel good. And the doctor has to examine you and has to figure out what's wrong with you, right? Because you could have Mm -hmm. the flu, you might have cancer, you could have Mm -hmm. a gallstone. He Mm -hmm. doesn't know. And those are very different treatment 
options. Right. And so he has to make the diagnosis before he can start working on the cure. And so our fear sort of works the same way. Once you can identify how fear is manifesting itself in your life, once you can identify your own unique fear archetype and your own fear fingerprint, mm-hmm. that's when you get to start to have power over it. And that's when you can say, oh my gosh, I thought this, I thought this was just my truth and my reality, but actually this is my fear talking. And now mm-hmm. I know what to do with it. And that wow. was- it's been incredible to actually watch this play out in my community and just to see the impact that th- that mm-hmm. discovering people's fear archetype is having in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and even in my own life, I've, I've watched it too in the last two years as I've been doing this work to realize, I, you know, I thought I had done a really good job overcoming fear in my life, right. but to realize that there are still some things that have been holding me back too. Can you talk a little bit about what's happened to your depression? Because I know a lot of people fight with depression and um, you sound like it might have receded. Is it something that you live with constantly? Have you found medication? Do you do TMS? Do you meditate? What do you do? Because you don't sound depressed to me. Maybe that's just (laughs) when you're on, you're on. Um, But how have you dealt with that? Because boy, you sound like you've figured the whole thing out. Oh, that's a great question. And I, I certainly wouldn't say I've figured the whole thing out, but I would say that I had, you know, through that two and a half year battle of depression with depression and then the subsequent two and a half years of additional therapy after that, I've gotten really good at coping skills. Okay. <laughs> and okay. I think that that has helped a lot because as I said, I tried every medication right. out there pretty much and including electroshock therapy. And right. it really was not like my body chemistry did not respond well to any of those medications. So I've been medication free for 17 years. And um, it's not that I don't ever have moments where of low moments, but I think I'm really good at knowing when that's happening and, and knowing how to take care of myself when, when I have those, those low periods, those dark dark times and dark spells. So I've never in those 17 years, I've never again had like the devastating, Mm. um, debilitating depression that I went through um, during that time. But I've certainly had like lower, lower moments, but I really work. I focus a lot on self-care. I focus on getting exercise, eating well, getting enough sleep and making sure that I'm doing those things to take care of myself, the things that I know I need. One of the things that I know that I need for myself um, is that I am an in, I am an introvert who spends a lot of time doing extroverted activities. Mm. And so the way that I really fill up um, mm-hmm. is having alone time. And it's something that my husband, who is an extrovert, has also had to get to understand about about me and is he's actually great about it. So I will go on personal retreats a couple times mm-hmm. a year and just have a few days to myself. Mm-hmm. And I will also like sometimes when I come home from work, I, he just knows like I just sometimes need like some quiet time. I'll mm-hmm. put on my headphones and have kind of my own, like go into my own retreat into my own shell for a little while. And then I can come back and pour back into my family. And so mm-hmm. just understanding, understanding the way that sort of my own personality works and what fills me up and what like gets me more on an even keel has been, has been really essential to first to stay depression free for all these years. Wow. Amazing. So that's incredible. So as we close, um, what are, let's say two things, somebody who's listening, um, who might be stuck in a depression or who might 
feel that they're, I thought that was very haunting when you said sitting on the sidelines of their own lives. This happens a lot, um, especially to older women who feel, Mm -hmm. I was just at an event we did yesterday night and this one woman who I don't know who came, you know, she's 50 plus and she said she just feels like, you know, nobody wants to have her to be part of anything. Oh. And that's kind of what we're fighting. That's kind that's, of what the club is all about. And I know I can relate to that so much mm-hmm. because that is so many people in my audience too. And that is one of the things like I actually talk about this specifically in, in my book, Do It Scared, where women come to me and say, I've spent so many years taking care of everyone else. Mm -hmm. And now my kids are grown and I don't know, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know what I, what to want. I just want want something. Yes. And that is like, that is exactly it. Like that is Mm -hmm. also fear because Mm -hmm. it's this fear of the future and the fear of what's next for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is and it can feel completely paralyzing. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I would absolutely recommend for people, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're going, okay, well, how do I identify where fear is holding me back? Mm -hmm. We actually have an assessment um, Mm -hmm. that we developed again. I had this huge research team and psychologists that helped develop an assessment Mm -hmm. for the fear archetype. So you can go and take the assessment and and figure out what your specific fear archetype is. And it's such an insightful, good first step because it's really about identifying where fear is holding you back. And that's going to be the first step and then learning how to overcome it. And so you can do that at doitscared.com. 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 Yes. And there's two versions of the assessment. There's Mm -hmm. a free version that will give you your top fear archetype. And then there's a premium version that will give you a a lot more detail. It'll show you how you rate on all seven of them. Mm -hmm. And it'll talk about your top three and more in depth and how they Mm -hmm. interact together. So definitely recommend that. And then the second thing I would do is if you're in a space where you have not, you're still trying to figure out like, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. I would say like, give yourself some permission to take a step back and to dream big. I think so many times we self edit ourselves Mm -hmm. um, without ever giving ourselves permission to just think about the what without the how. Mm. And if Mm, you can do that. that for a little while, just give, set the timer for 30 minutes and, 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 Give yourself permission to think about, like, what would I do if nothing was standing in my way? What have I always thought about doing? And don't let that voice, that voice that will automatically come come in and and immediately say things like, who do you think you are to think yes. about something like that? Or you wouldn't yes. even know where to begin with that. Or you're yes. too old to do something yes. like that. Just turn that voice off and actually give yourself permission to start start dreaming big again, because I really firmly believe that it's those big dreams that help us set these, set the targets that get, get us unstuck because Mm -hmm. without something to aim for, Mm -hmm. we're always going to be spinning around in circles. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Great. The only question I have, the only counter question as we close here to that is, there's a real big millennial thing now, which is dream big, dream big, you know, and they sit yeah. down and they're 20 years old and they think they're, they don't know what they want to do. They just know they want to be famous or they want to, <laughs> they're, they're going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, but they have oh, no those idea. Millennials. And I love them. I have two <laughs> millennials. I adore them, but it's kind of been the mantra. So how do you get around that yeah. sort of silly mantra part of that? Yes. 
Well, you know, that's a great question. And I wish we had more time to dive totally into it because, and that, but I actually do talk about that specifically in the book. So the, the book is divided into three parts. So we've talked okay. first about the, the fear archetypes, and then we talk about the principles of courage. And then okay. the third part of the book is specifically about taking action. So okay. the dreaming big is only the first part of that. Okay. And it's so essential that you do do that with, okay. think about the, think about the what without the how. But then there is a point where you do have to start thinking about the how and actually breaking down that big goal into manageable bites that correspond, that, that take your big goal from pie in the sky to something that you can take daily action on. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's too scary. It's too big or it feels so out there that there's no way we even know how to go after it. So right. there is a process that I walk people through of here's okay. how to take your big goal and actually make it into a daily action. Okay, great. Well, Ruth, you are amazing. I am I'm just blown away by your previous history. And I, as a mother, I just feel like I was like, oh my God, I wish I'd known her when she was younger. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, my heart goes out to you because I don't think anybody should have to suffer like that. And thank goodness you found your way out, which is wonderful. And look what you're doing for other people, which is so incredible. I'm going to have to read that book now because I'm struggling to, to do exactly that. And um, trying to now that you're saying that it's not just a blog, because I'm like, I don't do a blog, but I do do my own thing. So I will, be, I will become one of your fans and audience people very shortly. Well, thank and you. I know that other people will too. So thank you so much and congratulations. And what a wonderful story in so many ways for the mothers who are here listening and for daughters who are listening and for anybody who, who finds that, you know, it, it's a tough world out there. It doesn't always come easy. And, you know, many, many people do struggle to get up and they do and look what happens. So you are a bright shining star, my dear. Thank you. Met you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. And just to thank you for the opportunity to, to share my story. And I really, I, I feel so honored to be able to share this story because I think that it really, it, it is that beacon of hope for anyone who feels like I've screwed up my life yes. and, now I, and now I don't know what to do. I promise you that there is, there is something out there for you. And sometimes it takes a while to find, find the right path, but, but it's out there. Awesome. You're fantastic. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on Reinvent Yourself. This has been Leslie Jane Seymour. I'm the founder of Covey Club, and I'm so delighted that you listened to our podcast today. And boy, if you didn't get inspired by Ruth, I really don't know what I'm going to do to inspire you. I think she's absolutely amazing. I'm going to have to go read that book. I haven't had a chance to yet. It has to go into my summer reading queue. Um, And I hope that if you enjoy Reinvent Yourself, you'll give us some stars and leave us um, a nice review. Stars are the only way and ratings are the only ways that other people hear about us. And I think we try to do um, a good job of helping primarily women 40 plus figure out what's next for them in reinvention. Because look, a lot of times it's not our choice to reinvent, but we have to. And then in some cases we do want to reinvent. But 
we want to be the helping hand that's out there and give you the tips and tricks to do that. I hope that you'll come join Covey Club as well. We have a new connection app I'm really excited about called Covey Connect, which is really going to up our game at Covey Club, where you can connect with women like you around the world. And it geolocates, it locates by any keyword. So if you're looking for people who want to talk about cooking or who want to talk about uh, elder care or who want to talk about could be uh, menopause. It could be anything that you're interested in. Uh, you will be able to find those people. It's private. That's what I'm really excited about. No one's scraping your information. No one's following you to different sites and following what you do. It's all private. I pay for it. And it is really exciting because we're going to take this community to the next step. And my goal, as Ruth says, you have to have a big goal, is to connect 100,000 women out there. So we're well on our way. Anyway, thank you for listening. And I hope that you'll pass the blog along to uh, other people. And I hope that you'll pass Reinvent Yourself along to other people as well, if you're a big fan. Thanks a lot. Take care.